the Bible is under attack. Slightly over two years ago, GQ Magazine, which is an international monthly publication based in New York City, uh, next year this men's fashion style and cultures periodical will experience its 90th year of circulation. But back on April 19th, 2018, the magazine featured an article titled 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. And included on the list were many classics like Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea or Salinger's The Catcher and the Rye or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain or The Lord of the Rings by J.R. Tolkien or Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. Guess which other book made the list of 21 that they suggested you don't have to read? They listed the Bible. And their observation was that the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality, they said, have not read it. How is that for unsubstantiated editorializing? Talk about making hasty, factless generalizations. And if I were to return the favor with a little editorializing, hasty generalizing of my own regarding this article, I would say, number one, that these folks at GQ magazine have never seriously read or studied the Bible. And number two, that they do not know a single person who does live by the word of God. Should we be surprised that God's word would face such a frontal assault from a trendy, hip, secular, humanistic, cultic fashion magazine? Not if we understand as believers that we are in a spiritual battle. This is all part and parcel of the devil's schemes to discredit God, to discredit the word of God, to discredit God's kingdom, to discredit the church, and to discredit the children of God. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47? Let me read it for you. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Interestingly, a secular professor in a similar time frame in, at New York State University, Dr. Rosiera Butterfield, wanted nothing to do with the Bible either. But she decided to read it in order to denounce it and to better debunk it. So with notebook in hand, she read it as she had been trained to do in all of her academic preparation. She examined its textual authority. She examined its canonicity and its internal hermeneutics. And in her first year of reading it, all she saw was patriarchy, misogyny, slavery, violence, hatred, and all kinds of what she deemed as politically incorrect statements. She really believed that she was on the right path to discredit the Bible. But the more she read it, the Bible started to take on a life and meaning 
that startled Dr. Butterfield. She found that her previous paradigms of interpretation no longer worked, and that she found answers to all of her initial questions and accusations. After years of studying the Bible to debunk it, she said the Bible got to be bigger inside of me than I was. It overflowed into my world, even though I fought against it, she says, with all of my might. Now she says, I've read the Bible many times through, and I've seen for myself that it has a holy author, that it was truly a canonized collection of 66 books with a unified message. The Bible is the word of God. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse 8, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. He said also in chapter 55, verse 11, the word that goes forth from my mouth will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Bible is God's word. Thus, it must be exercised with precision. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 tells us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which our text interprets as the word of God. Literally, it's saying, take the Spirit's sword, which is God's word. And the sword mentioned there is the Greek word makaron. And that was a short sword that was commonly carried by a Roman soldier. The typical short sword was 12 to 18 inches in length. On rare occasions, they might reach two feet. But basically, it was just a, a, a big knife. And it was carried on a scabbard or a sheath attached to a soldier's belt, usually on their dominant hand side. Romans called this their gladius, this short sword. And this was a weapon that was suited for hand-to-hand -hand combat in tight quarters. It was not the broadsword that so many of us have become accustomed to from history books and movies and, and literature from the medieval period onward. Basically, the Macaron was a big knife. In fact, this was uh, what the, the Apostle Peter drew in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was trying to prevent the arrest of Jesus on the night before the crucifixion, this is what Peter used to chop the ear off of the high servant's, uh, the, the high priest's servant, which then Jesus, of course, promptly healed and put back on and told Peter that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But soldiers had to, had to develop skill with their macrion, with the gladius, or they would not survive. So it required precision in the defensive and offensive uses of it. It was used defensively to block or counter every jab or every thrust of the enemy, while at the same time, offensively, it was being used to attack and defeat the enemy. It is the first real offensive weapon we see listed in the armor of God. This is why part of our message today is about exercising God's word with precision, because that's what they had to do with the soldiers uh, it was short sword in warfare back in these ancient times. And 2 Timothy 3.16, the very first part of that verse says, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's, all scripture is inspired by God because the Spirit of God wrote it, uh, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God uses the Word as we take it by faith and apply it to our lives. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say, above all, 
We must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is a living document. See, this is used by God's Spirit in this world to accomplish God's purpose. That's what Hebrews 4 verse 12 teaches very clearly. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And this is precisely why Satan wants to denounce it at every turn. And why someone like I shared about earlier, Dr. Butterfield, could be so completely impacted by it. Now, there's something additional that we uh, need to add here to our discussion that's very important to the interpretation of the sword of the Spirit here that you need to recognize from this verse because it interprets it for us. It says that the sword of God's Spirit uh, is the Word of God, which goes closely along with the statement that we need to exercise the Word of God with precision because soldiers needed to be precise in their swords with their swords, their short swords, their macarons, their their uh, gladiuses in the ancient Roman world just to survive. Now, this phrase here used is not the usual one used in the original Greek language of the New Testament. The one that we uh, are more familiar with, the word that is common uh, that describes word in the Koine Greek language is the word logos, uh, meaning word in general, meaning the revelation of God, meaning uh, like it's an entirety. And some of you may actually be able to remember back many decades ago, long before Amazon, long before Barnes and Noble, long before the World Wide Web really got going, that there were actually something known as Christian bookstores in most communities. And we actually used to have one in the Mariner Mall in Superior. And one of our faithful dear members of our church, Ray Johnson, uh, worked there for many years. And that bookstore, you remember what it was called? It was called Logos. Well, here in Ephesians 6, 17, when it tells us that the word of the Spirit, uh, that, that the uh, sword of the Spirit is the word of God, it doesn't use that word Logos. It uses the Greek word rhema, meaning a particular statement of God, a, a saying or an individual set of words. Now, I'm going to share some specific examples with you today of rhema that I believe will make sense to you. But before I do, I want to remind you, since God's word is God's word, it needs to be handled with precision, which is why we're going into so much detail today. That's what Paul told the young Timothy when he was getting him started as a young pastor. He said in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not be a need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. What we're doing here this morning is correctly handling the word of truth. We're exercising God's word with precision. Now, let's take a look at an example of uh, this word rhema being used in this way. And I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And the apostle Paul is having an incredible discussion about the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jews and Gentiles and how it's available 
for everybody. And he says in verses 9 and 10 that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Goes on three verses later to say, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then we pick it up in verse 14 through verse 17. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accept the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And then verse 17, here's the key. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the, through the word about Christ. That's not logos about Christ. That's rhema about Christ, referring specifically to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Greg Laurie and many other evangelists like him in our modern world say, it is not from just any part of the scriptures that people come to faith, but from those parts that declare the gospel. From the rhema, the specific verses and statements of God that highlight the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's so easy to get sidetracked when you're sharing your faith. It's so easy to go down various bunny trails, isn't it? Paul told Titus to stay away from foolish controversies and genealogies, which are worthless and unprofitable. He said, speak things that are fitting. Uh, in other words, use the rhema, speak things that are fitting. And another place in the New Testament that we see the word rhema used uh, is in the temptation of Jesus Christ. Again, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, and there from verses 13 to 17, we have the account of the baptism of Jesus, where John the Baptist is reluctant to baptize Jesus because he doesn't feel worthy to baptize him. In fact, he thinks, I should be baptized by you. It shouldn't be this way at all. But Jesus needed him to. In fact, it says there to fulfill all righteousness. But notice what verse 17 says. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God puts his blessing on his son. The beginning of his ministry. What a high point. What an incredible moment and event. And then what do we see? In chapter 4, Jesus is led then by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. Jesus was not tempted so the Father could learn anything about the Son. For as we just read, the Father had already given his approval. Jesus was tempted so that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth might know that Jesus is the conqueror. And in the wilderness, Jesus exposed Satan and his tactics and defeated him. And because of his victory, we can have victory over the tempter as well. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Forty days of fasting, 40 days of prayer, 
in the wilderness and 40 days of being tempted by Satan. You know, in Switzerland, there's a cemetery at the base of the Matterhorn Mountain filled primarily with bodies of climbers who died on the 14,000-foot high mountain in the Swiss Alps. Strangely, most of those buried there are casualties of the descent, not of the way up. See, having achieved their goal of summoning the Matterhorn, they let their guard down on their way back down the mountain, and it cost many of them their lives. When did Satan choose to go after Jesus? It was after one of his greatest moments on earth, receiving the blessing of his heavenly father, the blessing of the Godhood. And may I suggest that the devil will often do the same to us. After some high moment in our life, after some important time, some precious time in our lives, he will then come after us. Well, Jesus is in the wilderness, and it tells us in verses three and four that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Satan is trying to get Jesus to act independently here of the Godhead, to get him to do his own thing. So how did Jesus respond? He pulled out his sword, you know, the gladius from Rome, but here in the Greek language, he pulled out his macheron, and he said, every rhema, every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes specifically from the Bible, a passage in Deuteronomy that applies directly to this temptation he was encountering. So it continues on, verses five and six. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here in this passage, we see another tactic of Satan. He quotes from the Bible, but he intentionally misuses the scriptures, and Jesus calls him on it. Satan is trying to get Jesus to force God's hand. If you won't do a miracle, if you won't turn these stones into bread, and you're hungry, like I asked you to do before, maybe you can just climb up on the temple and pinnacle and jump off, and, and God will do a miracle for you. And Jesus basically says to Satan, yes, it's perfectly appropriate to believe in miracles, but we do not get to schedule it. You can't presume things like that with God. And he quoted another rhema, another appropriate scripture. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I think you get the picture today about the word of God being the rhema of God, the armor of God that we're to use. That's our sword that we're to be using. But how can we know the word of God? Number one, let's do it by way of application today. Let's get real specific. First thing you need to do is you need to read it. And I'm going to encourage you, daily read the Word of God. Read it out loud. Read it in silence. Read it over and over again. Listen to the reading of God's Word electronically and digitally. Some of you commute back and forth to work. You can do that during that time. Use a daily reading plan. You've heard the saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. So use a plan and absorb what you are reading. Interact with what the text has to say. Second thing I want to suggest is meditate on it. Now, speed reading is very valuable, 
And if you do it well, that's okay. Because sometimes we read too slow and we bore ourselves. So it's important sometimes to change things up. But don't just read God's word to get it done for the day. Slow down and digest it. Meditate upon it. You know, no one who wants to see the beautiful scenery of some countryside or some state or province or a nation uh, takes a bullet or an express train to do that. They usually take a slower route through the countryside, and they stop often so that they can absorb all the sights and the wonders and the sounds and the vistas and the smells. Meditate on God's Word. Third thing I would suggest is memorize it. This is an important way of internalizing the Bible, to not only shape our minds and our hearts, but to make God's Word readily available to others through us. Now imagine with me today, if you will, that Jesus said to, to Satan when he was being tempted in the wilderness, you know, give me a minute to go and consult my concordance, and I'll get back to you on what you've just said there. No, he had these verses committed to memory. As someone has once said, memorizing the Bible is making deposits for tomorrow. So memorize verses on salvation, verses on the gospel, verses about sharing your faith. Memorize verses on the assurance of salvation and the love of God. Memorize verses of comfort for people who are in despair for yourself as well as for others you may encounter. Verses about peace, memorize those. Memorize verses in the Bible about the Bible itself. So like I've shared some of those scriptures earlier with you today in this passage, memorize those kinds of things because that's what the Bible says about itself. Memorize verses about the nature of God and the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even memorize verses about the sacraments so you can explain those things to people or introduce people to the Lord's table or to baptism. Uh, memorize verses about defending your faith because we always need to, prepare to, to be prepared to give an account for the hope that lies within us. Memorize verses like that. Fourth thing I would suggest is pray scripture. Use the Bible in your prayer life, in your prayers, what the Bible says. Quote it in your prayers, what it says about God, what it says about this broken world, about life, about circumstances, about hope and peace, what it says about the gospel. Pray those things in your prayer life. Use words that originate in the heart and the mind of God and pray them back to God. Allow his word to shape your heart, to shape your mind, to shape your life, and to shape your prayers. And the fifth thing I would say is consult it often. You know, search for answers. If you don't understand something or you, you encounter something perplexing or challenging in your life, look for insights within the pages of God's word. You will see God's will there. It will be laid out for you. Get to know your master and let his word master you. You know, five years ago, NBA coach Monty Williams of the New Orleans Pelicans was fired. It happened on May 12th. 2015, after five seasons as the Pelicans head coach. The reason for his firing was that his team had been eliminated in the early rounds of the NBA playoffs. And when reporters asked him about his firing, he said, well, God has always been in control of my life. And then he quoted Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to them that says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his plan. He went on to say that all things work out 
for people who are called by Jesus Christ. And he said that God has brought me through too much for me to complain or to be bitter. Well, a short time later, his wife and three children were involved in a head-on collision with a car that crossed over the center line, striking their SUV. Tragically, his 44-year-old wife lost her life. At the funeral, Monty asked for prayer, not only for his family, but also for the family of the driver who hit his wife's car. He said, what we are going through is really tough. It is hard, and we want an answer. And we don't always get the answer when we want it. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And this is what my wife lived for, and it's what I try to live for on a daily basis. God loves each one of us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. Monty Williams walked so closely with God, using his word with such precision, that when his wife was suddenly ripped away from him, he had resources to not only suffer well, but to summon the world to believe in his Savior. As Monty clung to his God and the gospel, his loss declared the power of God, God's word, the word of God. God's word gives us the resources we need to suffer well, to repel the attacks of the evil one, and to draw near to our Savior. I plead with you today to follow in that same path. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity again that we've been on to talk about overcoming the world. And Lord, today, specifically with the piece of armor, the word of God. And Lord, we learned today that these are specific sayings. All of it's your word, God. But you have so many sayings, so many statements, so many verses in the Bible that apply directly to the circumstances or the situation that we find ourselves in. And God, you want us to have those things committed to memory and close to our hearts. Uh, you want us to know those things and, and apply those things to our lives so that when the schemes of the evil one come our way, we can stand against those things. We can be ready with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I pray, God, that in these trying times we find ourselves living in, that everyone would handle with precision your word because it is your word, recognizing how powerful it truly is. And God, may you be glorified as your children live and follow and walk according to your word. I pray it in Jesus' name.